Lord, I am so grateful for my Savior Jesus, who is strong and kind, who tells me that I can come to him, and I know how many times when I've wandered that he's come and got me, and I'm so grateful. I pray, Father, that your spirit would guide us tonight, that your word would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear, and that we, Father, would not refuse to listen, but that our hearts and minds would be open to receive from you what you would have for each of us. I pray, God, that as we study your word, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close chapter 19, we saw that the Holy Spirit had given divine protection to David. As Saul had sent three different groups of men to kill him, uh, and then finally he came down himself. They were all engrossed in the power of God's Spirit. And after that, David comes to Jonathan for the scene, really, that we are going to start off with today. So, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king and eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be saved. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So David comes back and he tells Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. Right? Apparently Jonathan hadn't read chapter 19. Because Jonathan disagrees. Now what I'm thinking is, uh, the last time we saw Jonathan and Saul together, Saul had vowed that he would not kill David. And so perhaps Jonathan was off. Maybe he was fighting a battle or doing something, some sort of errand for his father. So he wasn't there for the events of chapter 19, where his father threw a spear at him a couple times and, uh, you know, sent men to his house to kill him and then sent men to find him down in, in, uh, in Ra uh, Rama. Right? Maybe Jonathan was unaware of this. Um, Jonathan is sure that if his father was trying to kill David, he would have told him. But David, basically, he swears this oath, like, listen, man. I swear on a stack of Bibles, they, you know, they didn't have Bibles then, but I swear on a stack of Bibles, your dad's trying to kill me. So Jonathan says, all right, 
What do you want me to do? And they come up with this plan regarding the new moon. And at the end of it, uh, Jonathan, you know, David says, if I've done something wrong, kill me yourself. And we're going to see Jonathan's uh, uh, being opposed to that when we get to verse 10 here in a moment. Um, Or verse 9, sorry. So I want to go back to verse 3 real quick. Well, I want to point out two things. First, David is aware that he is only a step from death. And I think that's an interesting thing because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, we were, we were having a meeting earlier. We made all these plans for December 1st, right? We've got, we've got plans to go up to Fort Collins later in December. Uh, you, you know, we make, we make plans. But for all we know, uh, tomorrow, you know, the trumpet may sound, woohoo, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I got, I got no problem with that. Or maybe, uh, the, the, as my favorite illustration is, uh, maybe the bus horn will sound and you don't hear it and you step out in front of the bus and that's it. Right? We don't know. Um, now, even though I don't think this is David, right? I'm reaching a little bit here. I realize that. Um, but David realized, right, he, he had an awareness of his own mortality. And I think that's good for us, right? We're not going to live forever here. In this body, praise God, we're going to get a new one. Um, yeah, right? You guys won't be able to tell Roy and I apart. We'll both look like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> um, but I think the reason it's not necessarily bad to have an awareness of our own mortality is because it gives us an expectancy, right? We can then live our lives keeping an eye on eternity. However it comes about, right, we need to be prepared because people who think, you know, oh, I've got, I got plenty of time to get right with God. You might not. Or I've got plenty of time to forgive so-and-so. You might not. You know, I've got, I could go on, right? There's, we could make a long list out of that. But you might not. You might not. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 45 through 51, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, what Jesus is talking about is his own return. It's in Matthew 24, as I mentioned, which is part of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus taught his disciples about the end times. That includes us. You know, we don't know. Right? So what does he say? Be a wise servant. Do what God has called you to do. Be faithful in that. And when Jesus returns, well, then what awaits? Reward. Awesome. I'm excited about that idea. He goes, but what if you're an evil servant? What if you're out getting drunk, beating your fellow servants, not doing the job you were left to do? 
thinking, ah, he's taking his time to come back, or, you know, he's, maybe he's not coming back at all. Then when he shows up, right, in an hour you don't expect, you, well, then you, he's going to cut you in half and throw you in hell. That's essentially what the end of that few verses says. He's going to cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we live with an expectancy as followers of Christ. Not because I expect to die tomorrow, but because I don't know when he's coming back. Whether it's when he comes back for all of us or whether he's just coming back for me, I don't know when that's going to be. And I want to be ready. So I want to be faithful in what he's called me to do until that moment. And, and I want to, I don't want to fear the day of his return. You know, I'm excited about it. I remember years ago, many years ago, gosh, this was even before we had kids. Uh, it was the first church we attended as a married couple, uh, a church called Turning Point in Chino, California. You know, oh, I was trying to think of the pastor's name uh, the other day, and, I, and it's Kevin, and I just all of a sudden popped into my head. That's a complete irrelevant point but I remember there was this gentleman there that I was chatting with one day after a, I think it was a Wednesday evening service and um, he had two twins uh, I can't remember they were young but like six months old twins and uh, the message that night had been on the return of Christ it was very I, I enjoyed it good message and he said you know I, I don't want Jesus to come back you know, I must have had a look on my face of like, you know, explain yourself. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Because even then, even when I'd only been a Christian for a short time, I was like, I want, I, all the stuff the Bible, I want to see that. I want to, uh, trumpets and horses and, and armies and, and new heavens and new earth. And, and, and I want to see that. I'm excited about seeing all that. And he goes, yeah, no, I mean, I, want, I got things I want to do in my life. I want to see my kids grow up. You know, I, I want to get to a certain point in my, he's, in my career. He's talking about, I'm like, you know, if Jesus had come back today, two weeks ago, uh, the day before I got to defend my dissertation, I would not have been upset. Wouldn't have bothered me a bit. Because I want to go home. I mean, I love it here. I love Gunnison. I love you all. I love our church. I love my family. I love the amazing things that God lets me do. I'm still trying to figure out why he lets me do them. But I love the things that God lets me do. But one day, I'm going to wrap my arms around Jesus, and he's going to wrap his arms around me. And one day, I'm going to see the angels, and I'm going to see the host that has gone before me. We're going to talk about this on Sunday. It's fresh on my mind. Right? And, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to see the Father seated on his throne in the cherubim, flying around it, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I'm going to see the new heavens and the new earth, and I'm going to see the new Jerusalem with its big walls and its gates made of pearls and streets made of gold. I'm going to see that. We're all going to see it. For those of us who believe in Jesus, I'm excited about that day. And so I want to live in expectancy. I don't want to be a wicked and evil servant that that trumpet sounds and I'm not ready. I don't want to be that person. I want to be ready. So hopefully that's, that's the biggest of the rabbit trails we go down today. But who knows? The night is young. Verse number 10. Um, 
I didn't read verse 9, did I? If there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself. Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then I would tell you. So David said to Jonathan, oh, I forgot. There was a second thing I wanted to point out. David is asking Jonathan to lie for him. Notice that. Tell your father I went to Jerusalem. I'm going to be hiding in a field. See what happens. Right? He's telling Jonathan to lie, and Jonathan's okay with that. Um, this is one of the many instances we're going to see where David's trying to figure things out on his own, where David is making a mistake, where David is having a lapse in faith. We talked about that last week. That gives me comfort because God used him anyway. Verse 10. David said to Jonathan, who will tell me uh, or what if your father answers you roughly? Basically, how, how am I going to know what happens if I don't show up and you tell this lie on my behalf? So Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out to the field. So both of them went out to the field. Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. And you, you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So basically, Jonathan says, I promise, whatever I figure out my father is going to do, for you, do to you one way or the other, I will let you know, and we're going to find out how here in a moment. Um, but he goes, but I want you to make a covenant with me. Right? Jonathan knows David is God's choice. Jonathan knows that Saul's time is coming to an end. He knows that. So he's saying, when that day comes, when my dad is finally gone, make a covenant that you're going to show kindness to my family. And David agrees to that. I love that. And later on, after Saul's dead, we'll see this up in 2 Samuel, right? Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead. They're, they're all dead, but, but Jonathan has one child that survived, Mephibosheth. Right? And David brings him into his home, gives him a place of honor, takes all the land that belonged to Saul's family, gives it to him, then gives Mephibosheth servants to work that land, and then tells him, you sit at my table. I will take care of you. It's a beautiful thing. Of course, Mephibosheth repays that by trying to take the kingdom back from David a little later on. Doesn't work out well for him, but that's the next book. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the point is, David honors this covenant. Verse 17. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come, then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. So basically, this is the plan. Right? I'm going to go figure out what's going on. You go hide by this rock. I'm going to come out with my bow and arrow. I'm going to shoot it. 
If it's one way, I'll tell the lad this. If it's another way, I'll tell the lad that. Either way, you're going to know what happened. Now, real quick, let's talk about the Feast of the New Moon. Uh, we studied this back in Exodus and Leviticus, and I think it was mentioned in Deuteronomy as well. Uh, but this was a two-day feast every single month um, when there was a new moon. Saul would have had those who were part of his court, part of his government, celebrate the feast with him. Since the Jewish people used a lunar calendar, the feast of a new moon was a celebration of the new month. It would basically be like the first of every month, we have a party, just because it's the first of every month. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, we do this. The first Sunday of every month, we have potluck. Look at us, going back to our Old Testament roots. Um, of course, there's often pork at our potlucks, which would have not been at the New Moon Festival. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Verse 24. Now, we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter because the, everything that's been talked about now is going to be played out. David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose. And Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. This does show you uh, that David did have a pretty high place in Saul's government, that he had a seat that was only a couple away from Saul's. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. Right? Because when you go back to Jewish law, maybe he touched a dead body or, you know, who knows. Something happened. He needed to go through a cleansing ceremony. He'll be here tomorrow. Happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? I find that so fascinating. Because it was just a couple chapters ago that Saul said, I don't know who this kid is. Right? When the chapter before, he knew who that kid was. Then he doesn't know who the kid is. Then he knows who the kid is. And now he still knows who the kid is, right? Saul's mind, it's, it's a bag of cats at this point. So why is the son of Jesse not shown up yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission to me, of me, sorry, to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So, Jonathan tells David's lie. Chapter 20. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry uh, for those listening online. Uh, somebody's phone spoke. Um, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. We're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. Right? He's talking about his wife. Come on. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. you got to think about this. In one breath, 
Saul says, we've got to kill David so you can have your kingdom. And then a moment later, Saul tries to kill him. I'm thinking Saul has conflicting priorities. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out to the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the, ran, as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Right, that was the signal. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. As they kissed one another, they wept together, but David more so. So this was a huge sign of respect, real quick. I'm going to read the last verse, I promise. Um, but this was a huge sign of respect on David's part to Jonathan. Right? Even though Jonathan had huge respect for David, knowing that David was meant to replace his father as king, David bowing down three times as he approached Jonathan was a huge sign of respect. If you go back, remember when Jacob was coming back from uh, his uncle Laban's house and he finally met Esau? What did Jacob do? He bowed down to Esau three times in the field before they actually met. Big, big thing in their culture. Verse 42 Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So, basically, what we see here is Saul's madness escalating. I, I mean, he, he's just gone, right? He essentially calls Jonathan's mother his wife, um, a whore, or a son of a you know, female puppy, right? He, 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 that's what he calls his own wife, right? It would be like me saying something like that to my son, right? I would never do that. I'm not that dumb. I'm just not. Um, he points out that Jonathan's going to lose the kingdom if David doesn't die, and then when Jonathan tells him he's out of his mind because David hadn't done anything wrong, then he tries to kill Jonathan. So in one breath, he's telling his son, I want you to be my successor. In the next breath, he tries to kill him. I mean, he's just, he's gone. This, of course, is a, a sign of Saul continuing to try to hang on to the kingdom by violence, even though Samuel had told him the kingdom had been torn from him. Um, we already talked about Saul calling David the son of Jesse. So just, again, his mind is gone. And then we see Jonathan's loyalty to David. As he carries out the plan to inform David of what had happened, they reaffirm their covenant with one another. They show this great affection and respect for one another. And even though they didn't know it, this is the last time Saul and Jonathan will be together. David and Jonathan. That's what I said. David and Jonathan. Uh, because David now goes on the run and uh, he will not see Jonathan again before he's killed at the end of 1 Samuel. Spoiler alert, Jonathan doesn't make it. Uh, neither does Saul. David's going to be okay. Right? Just so you know. 
I sometimes, um, you know, I remember back to the first time I read the Bible, first time I read it all the way through. And I don't remember all the instances or all that, but I can only imagine that I would be like, wow, what's going to happen to David? <laughs> you know? Um, uh, there's, a, there's a show that we've watched uh, called Third Rock from the Sun. Anybody remember Third Rock from the Sun? John, um, John Lithgow and, and, and uh, 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 the kid that, that you guys think is cute. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, anyways. Anyways. Um, there's this scene, right? There's these aliens. They came to Earth, and it's their, uh, they're, they're trying to learn about humanity. Uh, so, you know, a little far-fetched. But there's this one scene where, where the leader, the, the character John Lithgow plays, is he's reading the Bible, right? And so he's on one page, and he goes, don't eat the fruit. Right? And then he turns the page, don't eat the fruit. Turns, don't, she ate the fruit, women. <laughs> you know, but it's just that idea that the first time you read it, you're like, oh, no, that's what happened? I mean, it's kind of cool being at this place where I know what's going to happen. I know David's going to be okay, right? But still, chapter 21. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. We're, we're going to find out that David is not actually alone, but still. So David said to him, like the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. David lied. Right now, he did have young men with him. We do know that. And they weren't with him there in Nob when he went to talk to Ahimelech. Um, but he had several that followed him, and next week we'll get into all the people that flocked to David. Um, but he straight up lied. I'm on the king's business. No, he wasn't. He was running. He was running because he knew Saul was going to try to kill him. Verse 3, Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, uh, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves for women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. So it's three days since chapter what we saw in chapter 20. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Um, I'm going to explain all that in a moment. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. Right, now that doesn't seem like all that much importance. It will next week. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So David flees to Nob. This is where the tabernacle was set up at this time. And he goes to Ahimelech the priest. Now I'll bring this up real quick, and I'm not going to get into a lot of details. Uh, if you've been listening to my morning devotions in the book of Mark, I talked about this. Um, but in the book of Mark... Um, Jesus talks about Ahimelech's son, whose name has now escaped me. 
Um, Abiathar, you're right. Good, yeah, thank you. Abiathar. But when Jesus refers to this passage, he talks about Abiathar being the high priest. And here we read about Ahimelech being the high priest. It's not a contradiction, and here's why. Uh, well, there's really, like, I think I, I outlined four or five reasons. Um, one, uh, Abiathar would have been there. Even though he's not mentioned by name, he was Ahimelech's son. He was a priest. He would have been in the tabernacle with his father. So he would have been there. Um, two, they didn't have chapters and verses back then. So when he points that out, he was simply referring to a section of scripture. And Abiathar is going to be named uh, shortly after this. But you can go check out that part of my devotions in Mark. I spend a lot more time on it there. Uh, but this is where the high priest is set, set up. So he says, I, I need something to eat for me and the young man. And Himelech, I, I don't have anything but the showbread. He goes, as long as they've kept themselves from women, um, I guess they can have that. And David goes, yep, yeah, we, it's been three days. We've all been away from women for three days. And then he says, but it's now become a common bread. So this is what happened. This is the way it would work. Uh, and it's outlined for us in Leviticus chapter 24. Uh, you're welcome to go read that for some homework. Um, so there was the table of showbread in the holy place. Not in the holy of holies, but in the first chamber. And once a week, every Sabbath, 12 loaves of fresh baked bread would be put there to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when the fresh loaves went out, the other 12 loaves would be taken in order, and then the priests were allowed to eat that bread. So recently, right, the Sabbath had been within a couple days, the fresh bread went out, and the other bread had been taken down. So there was, he wasn't actually taking the bread off the altar, right? There was fresh bread sitting on the altar. This is the bread that had been taken off the altar that the priest could now eat. And he says, that's all I've got. And David says, great, I want to eat that, <laughs> right? I'm hungry. The guys that I, that I sent over to this place, we're hungry, we need it. And, and so he goes, okay, you can do that. Now, what lesson does this teach us? Well, it's the same le lesson that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 12. If, uh, well, you should have your Bible. I already said that earlier. If you want to turn over to Matthew 12 with me real quick, feel free to do so. Because in Matthew chapter 12, it was one of the instances where Jesus uh, clashed with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And I know I've said this before, but it's the coolest thing to do. I got to do this with a friend of mine who was a farmer in North Dakota. Right? You pluck the head, you rub it between your hand, you essentially thresh it between your hand, and you get the kernel out and you eat it. And it's, it's pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, like a king's Hawaiian roll is much better, or, or Pat's homemade rolls. Those are... My birthday's coming up. You could just make me a dozen. Um, they're so good. <laughs> But anyways, they were doing this, and this was legal, right? If you walked through someone's field and you were hungry, you could do that. You couldn't harvest their wheat, but you could do this. Um, and so when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees considered this work. Well, it wasn't really work. You were allowed to eat on the Sabbath day. But they considered it threshing wheat, which was work, even though it wasn't. So he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? 
Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? He's actually referring to the practice of circumcision. Right? You were to circumcise a baby on the eighth day. If that eighth day was a Sabbath day, they would still circumcise the baby, even though it was a Sabbath and circumcising the baby was technically work. Um, he goes, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. He's referring to, to himself. But if you, had not, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What lesson is he teaching us here? People are more important than rules. People are more important than rules. Right? Was there a command on the Sabbath day not to work? Yes. But their hunger meant, well, A, that they weren't even actually breaking the law. Jesus points that out. He goes, but even if they were, their need is greater. And then he refers back to David, right? It wasn't legal for anybody but the priests to eat this bread. But it wasn't wrong for David to eat it. Because people are more important than rules. Now, I say that. There are some rules that, you know, trump that principle. <laughs> uh, mostly because those rules involve making people more important. Right? Thou shalt not murder. Right? You're not allowed to murder people. Um, however, if somebody was threatening a small child and you killed that person, a small child, in my mind, is more important. Right? We could go on a long rabbit trail there that I'm not going to do now. But the point is, I think there's a lot of churches that miss this, unfortunately. Right? Um, I was talking to a young man earlier this week, and he was just talking about his early childhood and how um, he would, he would, his parents took him to a church that was very legalistic. And, and how, oh, his parents would get mad at him and people would get mad at him because he was running around and playing in church. And he, this is when he was small, not like when he was 15, like when he was three or four. And he remembers it. And he remembers, you know, being forced to just sit there and be rigid and his parents getting angry with him after church if, they, if he embarrassed him. I'm like, that's not our God. That's not how he sees us. Y you know, um, we, ha we have a little one who, who just came back up to Gunnison who's been here before on Sundays and Wednesdays and likes to run around. I'm, I love it. Because you want to know what? Jesus would love it. The Father would love it. And so why should I get mad about it? I don't. I think it's awesome. And so do we as a church. You know, and if we had somebody in our church that came up to me after service and said, you know, these little kids in the service, they're a real distraction. I might say something along the lines of, well, there's other churches where you won't have to be distracted by children or the word of God for that matter. But that's beside the point. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and I'm not going to do something opposite of what Jesus did. He goes, no. People are more important than rules. You get somebody who comes in who doesn't smell right, who isn't dressed right, who doesn't have the right language. Maybe, maybe they come in and they don't know any better, so they drop an F-bomb in our sanctuary. Are we going to throw them out? No. We're going to welcome them. I might tell them, yeah, it's probably best not to drop F-bombs while you're here, but you're welcome because that, that's a person Jesus would welcome. 
And if we had somebody in here who said, we know what we need to do. We need to start having rules about how people dress on Sunday morning. We need to start having, uh, I, would, I would very politely show them which door leads to the parking garage because that's not, that's not the way Jesus is. So that's not the way I want to be. That's not the way I think our church should be. Anyways, so Doeg, this guy was in charge of the herdsmen of Saul. So he's loyal to Saul. He's going to be a problem in the next chapter. Why was he under detention? We don't know, right? But typically, a person would be under detention at the tabernacle because they had maybe made a vow to the Lord, or they were going through some kind of cleansing ceremony because maybe they had touched a dead body. Who knows? We don't know. Uh, but it would usually be something like that. So once they get the bread, David says, um, I need a sword. And now how that sword got there, we're not told because David took it. But at some point in time, David dropped it off at the tabernacle. Um, and he goes, that's the only sword we got. And goes, David goes, that's a good sword. I'll take it. <laughs> and he's on his way and we get to verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now remember, Gath was one of the primary cities of the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Right? They didn't know. Right? As far as they knew, everybody loved David, so David must be the one in charge. Um, did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now, you note a hint of questioning. Isn't this David? Isn't, isn't this the guy who killed Goliath? Because you've got to keep in mind, some time has passed, right, since David killed Goliath a few chapters ago, right, for us, it's a few chapters. We studied it a few weeks ago, but at this point in time, it's been years, most likely. May, we don't know how many years, but a few at the very least. At that time, David was probably 15, 16, 17 years old, so now he's in his early 20s. That time, probably didn't have a beard. Now he's probably got a beard. At that time, his hair was probably a little shorter. Now it's longer. He probably filled out, right? David looked different. That's the point I'm getting at. And so they're like, well, isn't that the guy? You know, isn't this the guy who, who's killed 10,000 of our people? David took these words to heart. And he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before the king, right? Here we get another lapse of faith on David's part. He pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look, you see this guy's insane. Why have you brought him to me? Right? He doesn't care who he is. He just knows that he's a nut job. Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall his, this fellow come into my house? And as you get into chapter 22, first verse, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. But we'll get there next week. So his plan worked, but David flees to Gath, um, pretends he's insane. Achish is like, I got no need of an insane guy. Get rid of him. Uh, right? Just completely unnecessary. Uh, but this works, so David is not killed. Um, but this does show a lack of faith. But I'm going to say this. right? We've seen David lie. We've seen David ask a friend of his to lie. Now we see David pretending to be insane so he doesn't get killed. While that does show a lack of faith, if I had one king trying to kill me, and so I fled to another king, and when I got there, that king's servants basically tell the king, we should probably kill this guy, 
I'm not really going to blame David, right? I'm thinking, I might have done the same thing, throwing it out there. Uh, for your homework this week, if you want homework, uh, you don't have to have homework, but if you want homework, um, this psalm, or sorry, this instance is why, uh, or, the, or is what caused the writing of both Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. So if you want to read Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 this week, um, he wrote both of those psalms as a result of this experience. Um, Proverbs 29, 25, as we close. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. We've talked about this. We're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to see moments where David is afraid of man, and as the result, we see the snare. He makes mistakes. We're going to see other moments where he trusts in the Lord, and God is going to take care of it. I do want to point out, real quick, Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. You see, God put all of this in here for a reason. He preserved all of this for a reason. What's the reason? Well, according to Romans 15, 4, it's so that we can learn from it. Right? So that we can learn from the mistakes David made, so we don't make them ourselves. We can learn from the mistakes the apostles made, so we don't make them ourselves. Um, how many of you, right, we've, we've all spent time in the Word of God, right? We've read the Bible, we've learned from their mistakes, and we don't make those mistakes ourselves. Anybody? Right, yeah, good. Keep your hands down. I can go, wow, boy, David, boy, I can see the mistake he made. I don't want to do that. And then, you know, tomorrow I do that. Paul explains that to us in Romans 7. The things we want to do, we don't do. The things we don't want to do, that's what we do. Um, and who's going to deliver us from that? Well, of course, it's only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way deliverance comes. Uh, next week, we're going to see all the men that gathered to David um, as a result of his exile. We're going to see Saul killing the priest who helped David and David's continued service to the people of Israel, even though he was running from Saul. No, that won't be next week. That'll be in two weeks. Forgive me. Next week we're having a night of worship before Thanksgiving. That'll be in two weeks, but something to look forward to. Until then, let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to learn from these things that were written. Lord, you gave them to us so we could learn from them. You gave them to us so that we could understand, so we could grow, so that we could avoid the same mistakes. I pray, Father, that we would by your grace, by the power of your spirit in us. Help us to walk in your ways, to live out your truth, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.